Good Friday morning, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and thank you kindly for joining us on Real Talk with Keith Smith. The first Friday of the month of February in 2024, and we talk everything on Real Talk with Keith Smith. We talk Muppets, we talk Briggs Myers, we talk interest rates, we talk real estate, we talk development, we talk inventory, we talk movies, real estate life, the pursuit of happiness through physically conservative decision-making processes is kind of the motif, but really we never know where we're gonna go. Judah Wickhauer is the director of the Fine and Fair talk show. I hope you have a four shot set up because I wanna weave you in with the, the music piece. We got a bunch of people already suggesting what their movie that keeps them on. Holly Foster and Henrico, I'm curious of your take. Kevin in Waynesboro says it's Remember the Titans for, for him. Keith asked the question, well, you kicked it off. Yeah, so the question, and I'll get out of your way. If the movie's on TV, I guess I should say Netflix or streaming, wherever you get your content now, and you see it, where do you, what movie keeps you sticky to the channel? Remember what, we used to ask those three questions way oh yeah, back? yeah, running the gauntlet. Way, way back, um, I think it was whatever century that was when we started this. Five years ago. Five Scott years. Thorpe, the commercial yeah. broker, hello. Yeah, we used to ask three, three questions, and this was one of them, is, is to go through that. And, and Judah, of all the years I've known, we've known each other for five years, you utterly shocked me with Conan the Barbarian as the movie, of all the movies out there. He's like, what the hell? Where the hell did that come from? Are you on a four shot, Judah? Yeah. Oh, you are? That's the first one, it's just the first one that came to mind. I mean, it's a great movie. And I remember seeing it oh. in the, at a drive-in theater. We need to take you to like a movie appreciation class somewhere. Really? really? Of all that? I he loves I, movies. So I've just got this whole Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's a family kind of thing because Yona's Austrian and, and she's sensitive <laughs> about her accent and stuff like that. So it, it's, it's a Woody, thing. Woody Fincham's a movie buff and aficionado. Um, Top Gun's being put on the feed. Woody, how about you? Uh, mine's probably Shawshank Redemption and uh, to my wife's chagrin also Starship Troopers because I like Peter Verhoeven, the director. His commentary on society has always been interesting. And what's yours? Great movies. Yeah, those are fantastic movies. I, I mean, you guys have got great movies. Um, I love Usual Suspects. I love oh, yeah. Goodfellas. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Diehards. Huge fan of Forrest uh, Gump. Huge fan of Rudy. Um, well, there's a question for you then. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, oh dude, I just wrote that down. I literally just wrote <laughs> I say that Die down. Hard is definitely a Christmas movie, would you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think I don't there's understand. even a debate about that. I don't understand the people that say it's, a lot of people say it's not a Christmas movie. Until Hans squishes on the pavement, it's not Christmas. You know? <laughs> 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 that was the funniest thing Woody Benjamin said on this program. Uh, he Conan. And I didn't realize that your, your humor was that dark. <laughs> so I love it. Um, Goodfellas, a little movie thing on Goodfellas. You probably know this. You know the sign, the the portion of it where the Pesci character is saying, um, "Do you think me? Do you think I'm funny?" Mm -hmm. He ad lived it. That is totally ad lived. Yeah, he scared yeah. he scared the other actor to death with yeah. that. Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. Thank you. Yeah. And he used to because he because I got a little inside track on this stuff because our oldest daughter is in the movie business and apparently according to the scuttlebutt uh, uh pesci carried around a loaded 38 he was always in character and scared to live in daylight he thought he was going to kill him really thought he was going to kill him so that is not i guess that's acting but th that character was super super frightened uh your beautiful wife says shawshank redemption yeah 
Anytime it's on, we'll stop and watch it. It's a fantastic yeah. movie. Katie Pearl, what's it for you? Yeah, please. Any movie that is uh, on TV or streaming keeps your attention and keeps you from changing the channel. Sarah Hill Buchensky for you as well. Um, Holly Foster says, Random Hearts with Harrison Ford, Top Gun, and The American President. Those are oh, great ones from Holly movie, and Henrico. Yeah. Those are great ones. That's one of Michael Douglas's best roles, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Michael Douglas is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, lately, I've been watching uh, and re-watching and re-watching. My wife turns it off my tablet every night when I fall asleep with it. Uh, Oppenheimer. I love the, the new Oppenheimer Really? Movie. Explain really that. I, I, I literally got up and walked out of that movie. Really? Yeah. I couldn't follow hmm. it. Maybe, maybe it's my level of intelligence. I don't know. Nah. But I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't follow. It was jumping all over the place. Well, Very it, similar. It's to, not a linear timeline because it goes back and forth. And it's, uh, the guess, other thing that's confusing about it is when it's in black and white, it's one character's perspective. And when it's in color, it's a different I got all that. I got all it's, that. It, it can I be just, a little confusing. I don't know. I just, I just found it difficult. But I'm a TCM guy, so we watch TCM all the oh, time. Nice. Uh, so my movie, which um, will not surprise me, if Casablanca's on, I don't care. If it's like just before the ending scene when they walk walking out, I will watch that movie. In my opinion, that's the greatest movie ever made. And my second one uh, is, um, <clears throat> um, uh, come on, Smith, I could do this. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. I'm surprised you didn't say one. that Matins take Manhattan or Muppets take Manhattan. So. Well, I was, I was. There was a pre. Oh, you missed. There was a pre-production meeting that Jerry and I had. He said, "You know, enough with the pup, puppets, all right?" I did not say <laughs> that. I've never told you what you can. Or did we ever go. run you through that test? Uh, I did it. No, when so you, you did it on your own. Who were you again? Yeah. I forget. It was. Were you um, Beaker? Beaker, yeah. yeah. Katie Pearl for her. It's my best friend's wedding. That's a great movie, Katie Pearl. My best friend's winning. How about you, Sarah Helbuchensky? I got Curious some good market news that I'm looking at right now. We'll get to market news here. The viewers and listeners appreciate this topic. The movie, when it's on TV or on a streaming platform where you see you never change the channel or you always find yourself playing. Uh, we rattled off some of ours, and it's, um, the viewers and listeners are offering their perspective. Right uh, down the road, one of North Downtown's finest says, for him... Top Gun, I know it's always been, already been mentioned, but that brings back memories of my youth. Top oh, Gun. Oh, the original one. The original one was fantastic. Val Kilmer was sensational. I actually yeah. have a story for that Top Gun. Oh, you have a story? Go figure. Yeah, huh? imagine that. <laughs> go go what is your story of uh, Top Gun, Keith Smith? So uh, it came out, and I was still stationed in Ottawa, Canada, and the duty that I was on, you know, back in the 80s, there was only a couple of people that had beepers. You know, there was drug dealers, doctors, and us. Okay. And um, my mother flew with Yasmina was maybe a month, two weeks old or a month old or something like that when the, when the movie came up. My mother flew up to Canada um, and Yasmina uh, turned out to be colicky, which we did not know at the time. And uh, I was sitting in the middle. I've never actually seen that movie in the movie theater because when I was sitting through it, my beeper went off because somebody decided to throw a bomb at the embassy and I needed to go to the embassy oh, and wow. go, do my, go do my thing. So I've never actually seen that movie in the movie theater, which I would have loved to actually see in the wide, you know, in a full movie theater uh, 
setting with the flying and all that stuff. Neil uh, Williamson watching the program, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum, he says Groundhog's Day for him. Oh, Interestingly, uh, it is Groundhog's oh, Day today. Well, yeah. well, well. Uh, Teresa Davis watching right down Market Street at Front Runner Signs. Front Runner Signs is fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. She says, we use Front Runner Signs here in this building. She says, Fifth Element in the original Dune for her. Oh. Fifth Element is excellent. Yes, That's right. Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, that was yeah. Bruce Willis. Yeah. It was excellent. He was excellent in Fifth, <laughs> Fifth Element. Oh, the best character in that movie, though, is Chris Tucker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My gosh, it's so good. <laughs> or, and then, and, and yeah, I mean, who was the... Um, Oh God, the uh, who was the character, the uh, the the alien or or the oracle? I'm trying to remember the actress's name. Uh, Mia Ivanovich, uh, or how you pronounce her last name? Yeah, yeah. she was yeah. pretty awesome, and I think that was her first acting uh, thing. Look, look, while while, while all the yeah. folks are coming into their movies, James Watson, hello, your brother in law, hey, Sharon hey, James. Gentry Robinson, wel wel welcome to the program. James, what's your favorite movie? Not favorite movie. Well, I mean, I guess it, it could be favorite movie, but it's the movie that when it's on television or a streaming platform, you never change the channel. Yeah, yeah. That's, I guess that's probably your favorite movie. You're probably right about that. Well, yeah, it's, it's a different... If it's, it's a Are different... they the favorite movies, the ones you rattled off? No, I mean, it depends on my mood in the day to what my favorite's actually going to be. So. And that's how I would lean, yeah. but I'm just, you're 100% right. You did a better job at that, Jerry. As you're buzzing through it, you've got to stop no matter what. And mine are those two movies, and generally when that happens, Yona gets up and walks out. Shawshank, to me, is, is, is the biggest. <laughs> that's only that time? <laughs> is the biggest atrocity ever in the Oscars, because Tim Robbins should have won an Oscar mm -hmm. for that, but the movie only grossed, like, you know, nothing. And then it hit video and got this big cult following behind it. That's and, Yona's favorite, by the way. Oh, yeah? It's funny how the, um, the movies, when released later, how they either get a cult following or, you know, boom in popularity. For example, Suits is on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. And Suits is, it's struggled on USA Network. But it's one of the most watched shows on Netflix right now, the show Suits. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's a phenomenon that I don't think anyone can really describe. Uh, this topic is resonating with people. Uh, this was Lauren Keswick. Um, and for her, she says The Princess Bride. Classic. Classic movie right there. Yeah. Jim Wicker so, has gotten some. So I, in my younger days, they used to, what's the character's name? The, uh, the hero? I forgot. What's the hero's name? Oh, uh, <laughs> Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, yeah, so I was referred to to that character. The the best scene in that whole movie, Wesley. Wesley, that was it. Wesley, <laughs> the best scene in that in that movie. Um, oh, who played the uh, the old um, uh, warlock and the witch and a famous comedian? Uh, oh, Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. that's the best scene in that movie. What do you know your uh, movies? <laughs> He's almost dead. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> oh, mostly dead. Only mostly dead. <laughs> it is Groundhog's Day. And did the did the, did we have is more it, winter or no winter? Does anybody know? Early spring. Phil, is that who it is? Poxitani yeah. Phil, yeah. yeah. Did he see the shadow? Uh, it's going to be an early spring. It's going to be an early spring. Mm -hmm. I think we're all happy for that. I am. Right? I mean, I know our, our colleague Judah Wittkauer certainly is. Mm -hmm. um, all right, we will get to real estate. It is a real estate. No, 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 no. I, I, I just want to share some good news, right? We're up to 60 new listings this week. I'll get out of town. Spring is a blooming. When was that happening? And uh, it's, we, we got uh, 59. I rounded it up. 
59. So 59, we can attribute that to uh, Poxitani Phil. <laughs> or, or. Real talk with Keith Smith. <laughs> or, no. Or, uh, since Thursday, since Friday, yeah, hold it, today's Friday. Since Thursday morning, 27 new homes hit the market. Awesome. It could be that. It also could be that. And I, and I, and I think what's going on here is we're starting to get into this cycle where you're starting to see Wednesday, Thursdays, yeah. houses come on the market. And I'm going to be real curious when we, when we hit mid next week on, you know, what the, what the pending number, number is. But it's interesting. Seven days back, 59 came on. Only 65 went into, into pending. So feels like a bit of a balance. But, you know, about half of those 59 just hit the market like in the last 24 hours. Uh, John on Woody's page, help me with this last name. Is it Copulus? I'm just calling Cope. John Cope, watching the program right now. It says Pulp Fiction. Oh, great movie. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's just a really hard question to ask because I love Pulp So if yeah. I'm buzzing through it, and I think the thing is, is if Pulp Fiction is on or Casablanca's on, Casablanca will win over Pulp Fiction. But if Pulp Fiction is on and something else is on, Pulp Fiction will win. It's, it's Pulp a, Fiction's fantastic. But it's, it's the most known of Tarantino's movies. What's your probably, probably his best is um, uh, Jackie Brown. I love Jackie Brown movie. is fantastic. The stewardess, there are, I, that's, maybe, maybe that's not the preferred uh, nomenclature anymore. The airline attendant yeah. and Jackie Brown, she played that role so well. Conan Brothers, what's your best Conan Brothers movie? Oh, gosh. Um, Give me a second. <laughs> well, mine's Old Brother, Where Out Thou, but that's a pretty... Oh, we quote that in my household all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty simple one. You know, that's probably it. I mean, because, I mean, it's basically the Odyssey. Uh, it is exactly the yeah. Odyssey. Mel Brooks, best Mel Brooks movie. Um, Spaceballs. So, yeah, Young Frankenstein is totally uh, mine. Uh, Miller's Crossing, not on that list? Abby Normal. Uh, for Coden Brothers movies. How about True Grit? I figure you as a True Grit kind of guy, Woody. Uh, Ooh, the original one or the, the second oh, one? The second one yeah. I thought was better. Yeah. yeah. That's a Coden Brothers movie. That's, a, that's hard not to like. I never cared for John Wayne. Don't really? Me, no, I, no, no, I never no, cared for no. him. My dad loved it. I mean, I think I, I, I um, just consumed too much of it as a child on Saturday. I mean, if you really dig into The Searchers, it's a pretty dark movie. Mm. Uh, Kevin wants to know if his three friends, if their homes hit, hit at the lake, like he predicted earlier in the week. Um, I will look at that real quick. I have, not seen, I have not seen a change in inventory at the lake. But while we're talking about other better movies, I will take, I will, uh, take a look at that. We'll look quick. on the fly. Um, Frank Novak says, Woody is watching in Potomac, Maryland. Uh, Frank. Uh, viewers and listeners, if you haven't realized, especially those that are new to the program, you can offer comments on social media, and our software aggregates that commentary, and we mention your name and relay your questions or your comments or your props live on air. Um, this is a good one for, for Woody. Um, you'll appreciate this. Uh, with Woody Fincham on the show, I hope you guys cover the recent, uh, special, the recent assessment news. That's kind of why he's out. here. <laughs> That's why Woody Fincham is here. Uh, so why don't we start uh, with an open-ended... Okay. Well, to answer Kevin's question, um, so what's today? Friday? Since Wednesday... Friday the 2nd. John Blair, hello. Hey, John. 
there's a f we went from six to ten units. So it may be one of those without knowing the specific addresses, but there are um, there are four more uh, homes that are not new construction that hit uh, hit Lake Monticello, uh, kicking off at 315 uh, and ended at 655. So. 4,300 homes at Lake Monticello. For those that are new to don't know the area as well, uh, it's the largest neighborhood in our region, Central Virginia. And total units on the market out of 4,300 homes, Keith? In fact, Woody and Keith both live there. Um, we're, yep. we're 10, and, and really it's 9. There's one with an active with the kick out that um, my suspicion is uh, I don't really count that in inventory. I wouldn't count that. I count no. that in inventory no. uh, available on it. So just for those. So who, 9 out of 4,300. So those don't know, active with a kickout has like probably a pre-sale contingency in it, and uh, those usually get removed pretty quickly. Joe Meyer program. watching the program. Hey, Joe. Uh, I think he's in Louisiana. He is, yeah. He says, uh, Forrest Gump, good morning, guys, and oh, yeah, oh, brother is a great one as well. Yeah, great, great, great show kickoff. Right? And Woody Fincham is on the show. The, the, the appraisers come out from across the country. Um, but I, I want to get into his brain. Um, Assessments in our area up in the city of Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. That's the news for the layman. We got an expert here. Show is yours anywhere you want to go. So, yeah, I've been listening over the last few days with you guys talking about it off and on um, as I can. I can't listen to the whole show most days because I'm in my car driving around. But um, one of the things I wanted to, to, to kind of focus on with assessments is uh, I know Keith has been talking a lot about, and you, you as well, Jerry, that we went up on like the sub 250 properties, $200,000 properties, what, 11%? Is sub 250. 250,000 jumped 11%. Right. So one of the things that we have to talk about is the fact that that may not be an accurate percentage. Now, that's how much they move. That is That part of it is accurate. But if the city or the municipality had not been up to current market value the prior year, maybe they were below market value and they decided to catch it up this year, they're charged with being at market value. So they have these the statutory requirement to go to market value and there's nothing wrong with them doing that they're just catching up um, it's funny and, and I don't mean this to be like slanted humor or anything like that but no one ever complains when their assessments are below market value <laughs> but they always complain when they're when they go up and if you don't compare one thing to the other you, you you may be jumping to a conclusion that it you know it's in fact just catching up so you think that's what it is? Maybe. I mean, I, I always give um, appraisers and assessors the benefit of the doubt until I have other, until I find something that makes me not give them the benefit Tough of the doubt. Tough question for you. Um, and Judy, you have the charts that we can put on screen? Assessment increases? I think so. What is the, what class of real estate or price point is yeah. most difficult? You do have them? Okay, fantastic. Uh, most difficult to assess? Um, so when you get into non-residential property, that can get really difficult to do. Um, most assessment uh, jurisdictions are going to go more towards an individual property appraisal rather than doing the mass appraisal. With residential, they do what's called mass appraisal. Mass appraisal is where they're taking a bunch of properties and throwing them into a category together, and then they move them all together accordingly. When you get into special use properties like churches and 
you know, industrial flex buildings and things like that, they tend to be more geared towards a, you know, individual appraisal um, look at it. So um, those can be difficult, and they're the most resource draining because, you know, I can give, when I was managing Albemarle's office, we could give one appraiser on staff, you know, somewhere between five to 10,000 parcels for their annual based on how many people I had on staff. With my commercial people, it was one person with the help of maybe a couple of assistants doing all of the commercial property. And Good Lord. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big task. It really is. How, how, how can someone do that amount of work with such little human capital or hours in the day? Is that, is that done? What do you call them? Did you call them desktop appraisals? No, I mean, they do go out in the field. Um, they're not, unless a taxpayer allows the assessor's appraiser to go into the property, maybe they'll do a drive-by. So as an example, like, let's look at Forest Lakes. That's a big subdivision everybody's pretty familiar with. Bunch of property in there. And um, when they're, whoever's assigned to that particular subdivision, uh, every sale that happens, they're supposed to, or at least when I was there, our policy was, if it's sold or it's on the market, you're going to go out and drive the neighborhood and look at it, at least from the exterior. And they have access to the MLS so they can see the interior photographs and, and get an idea of condition and things like that. Um, so they are going out in the field, uh, but it's, it's weighted very heavily on um, mass appraisal technique, which is mostly statistics. So um, I just as you guys were chatting, I just for the heck of it took a look at a recent sale that just sold looking at from 250 and below mm -hmm. in the city of Charlottesville. It was 311 uh, 7th Street. It sold for 245. Mm -hmm. um, the tax assessed value last year was 207. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just trying to do some quick math. So if we go ahead and add just a quick 10%, we're somewhere around 220, 225. So their tax assessed value will be cheaper than what they bought it for. So that's that's what folks need to look at when right. when they're when they're doing that. Now there could be some cases where the opposite end of it goes, but at that price point down, and I'm just trying to pick very quickly just a couple of recent sales because that's what they have to look at, right? right. They can't. I think one of the questions came up is can they can they budget in or can they appraise for something that is going to happen? Oh, I asked that question. I specifically asked, can the upzoning potential or the upzoning upside, for lack of a better phrase, impact the assessment today, even though it's not officially greenlit, although we all know it's coming? Well, the, the answer to the question is complicated, like anything. Um, so when did the, uh, the, the vote go through? Uh, so December, it was... Uh, basically greenlit, but they pushed it to February. It doesn't go in effect until February of this year. Until February but of it this was, year. But it was in 2023 when it happened, late yeah. 2023. So at that point in time, the jurisdictions have gotten their assessments are done. they got to post them on the 1st, right? This is what your proposed assessment okay. value is going to be as of July 1st. So they've already gotten all their work done at that point. If they are projecting, I would say that they're doing something that's not I don't it's think not that they are. Really supported. I don't think so either. I hope they're not. Because I'm doing some quick math here, and I just, and again, I'm doing it on the fly. I picked two or three recent sales, mm -hmm. and they're, you know, if they add 11% to these recent sales, they're still going to be below what the recent sales were. So they're catching up. So they're catch. Yeah. I think they're catching up. Is is what's going. Um, and you know, Jerry asked me this question the other day, and I haven't had a chance to take a look at it, and we'll pivot into into Charlottesville a little bit because there's been some changes at the X Park, right? 
Uh, well, I actually, we briefly, Woody and I briefly talked about this. Got that. Um, their assessments over the years have spiked dramatically. I mean, we're talking like triple digit assessment spikes in one year mm -hmm. uh, because of the highest and best use potential of ICS is not its current form, yeah. which you would quantify as its current form is what? Office space. Mixed use retail? It's a hodgepodge of things, I think, is the yeah. best way to say it. Right. And we all know that acreage is, I think it's 17 acres. Its highest and best use is probably some dense housing and some apartment or condo towers of some kind. Yeah, I mean, the first question you got to ask is, is, the, is that property being used at its most maximally productive economic use? And the no. answer is no. Right. I mean, I think we can all say that pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so have we heard from the Charlottesville that that's actually what they're doing, is basing it on the as-vacant highest and best use? I mean, that's according to the, uh, the property owners in, in the media. That, okay. And, and they appealed, and they had it reduced multiple times over the years. Um, and they're basically petitioning uh, the community through the power of uh, PR, saying, look, we're in this tough spot. We're, we're basically creating an art district or a music district or something right. for the humanities. And if we continue to get pop like this, we're not going to be able to do more like... <coughs> No, humanitarian. So I'll, work, if I'll you play. Will. I'll play devil's advocate. Please. When, you, when you market it for what is it? Eighty. Uh, I can find it. It's, it's something eight, like it's that. eighty-five <laughs> million dollars. It goes kind of against the narrative you're trying to. That's exactly right. Yeah. You can't have. Yeah. You can't. And the left hand say, "Hey, I want eighty-five million dollars for this because this is all the great stuff you could do for it." And on the other hand, and and I. I rent space there. My office is there. Yeah, it is there. Right. Well, well it used to be after today's show. <laughs> <laughs> no. It used to be as of two minutes ago. <laughs> Look at you, man. What is on point today? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I should learn how to shut my mouth, huh? No, no, no. It's uh, fun. The, yeah. So, anyway, I'm buzzing through all of this stuff. Um, I, I just, I'm up to six. And we're sales volume, right, versus what tax value is it? It's somewhere between 10 and 15 percent. Hmm. So 11 percent at that 250 point isn't too surprising to me on it. But the folks that we want to talk to folks, if, if you get your tax thing and you think you're being overcharged, that's when you reach out to somebody like myself and Woody. Right. And, and we will help contest it because there is an appeal process that you can go through. But at the moment, and I think the shocking thing about that is, you know, the the families that are at that own those homes could probably afford this the least, and I think that's where yeah. the that's where the inequity comes in, right? Because the ones that I don't have the chart in front of me, but the ones that are a half a million or up or whatever have like low single digit increases, if I remember that chart chart correctly. Dr. John Shabe, owner of Pro Granada, welcome to the program. The zoning, I'll get out of your way here. This is on the uh, X. It's um, seventeen point. Four seven one nine acres, arguably the most valuable. But it's not worth eighty five million. Undeveloped bucks. property in the city. But it's not worth eighty five million. Do I call it undeveloped? Is that fair? No, it's developed. Okay, I mean, developed. for the most part, developed. Okay, it's, yeah. under, it's what the legal the, the planning term is. It's underutilized. Underutilized. There you go. The zoning allows Did buildings. Right? Yeah, Keith, you'll appreciate this. The zoning, and I'm reading from the listing here. Uh, the zoning allows buildings up to 101 foot tall, yeah. density up to 240 DUA. You want to help us with that, the DUA? 
dwelling units uh, per acre. Okay, thank you. Current zoning <laughs> You're on point right there, Keith Smith. Current zoning allows up to 751 yeah, yeah. Dwe dwelling units by right. And the new proposed zoning, NX8, allows unlimited density and up to eight stories. So at the risk of getting wow. kicked out of my, my office space. This is where his office is located. <laughs> at the risk of getting kicked out of my office space. Um, as I said earlier, on one hand, you can't say... If we all walked in there with an 85, what is it? What did they want for it? 85 million? Uh, interestingly, the price has been removed. Got so it. it's now just a, a listing. But if memory serves correct, that was, that was the number. Well, you're looking on the public side, right? Yeah, you can, you can go yeah. on the. Uh, so um, to get back to what we're talking about there, though, <laughs> you know, they're, they're you know, the, you, the owners, are going, the owners <laughs> are going. Thank you for keeping Keith and Jerry straight. Well, we no, it's just something that just popped in my head that we should talk about. You know, we're talking about, you know, the humanitarian value of that property as it sets right now, and that's how they want it to be assessed. Well, the problem with that is that's not, that's not highest and best use. That is what we call a use value. You know, it's not, it's, it's being used for something specifically right now that's not highest and best use. But aren't we conflating a little bit, this is a commercial parcel, right, mm -hmm. versus the residential one that I just did, right? Yeah. So, so, so I, I think we're talking apples and pears here in, in the process, right, because I can see where... In 2022, the asking price was $84 million. Yeah, I can, I, I guess what I'm trying to get a, get a clear answer on on the residential side, on these 250000 and below, mm -hmm. the A, they can't calculate something that hasn't happened yet. Right. And B, they have to go by what's sold in the last 12 months to establish value. Right. So market value requires, uh, and because assessors follow the similar principles that appraisers follow, um, it requires there to be absorption in the market, right? So they can only base it on what's going on. There's not any demonstrative data right now that says that what could happen with the upzoning is actually going to add value to the property. We all know as practitioners that it's probably going to happen. But, oh, yeah. but, but they, this time next year is going to be a different number. Absolutely. But, but they can't forecast. Forecasting so, is not something that... that so that's what I wanted do. to get out there. They're not allowed to forecast. Right. I think with the commercial property, if that's the rule, well, there's nothing to compare it against. There's nothing's ever sold, I think, of that size, right? That's easy enough to do. All you've got to do is find other underutilized pieces of property. And, 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 and this happened Not in Charlottesville, weeks. regionally. Well, and it also happened to X a few And I can do that as a, as a tax assessor? Go outside the region? Absolutely. I mean, when we were doing triple nut leases on fast food, we were going to Harrisonburg and Roanoke and oh, other look at places. You. That's why you're yeah. here. You're way smarter yeah. than me. Supervisor Ned Galloway watching the program. Hey, Ned. We love you, Ned. Uh, this, the X ownership actually referenced this. Um, when Keith Woodard was trying to bring the farmer's market to Water Street, mm -hmm. uh, right. he bought that, and that really changed. Um, help me with the language there. Once he purchased this parking lot on Water Street, the assessor then utilized that. Is that a comp for? A comp, or I call it a precedent. A precedent for how to assess X, and that's when X's uh, assessment spiked dramatically, which they then uh, challenged, and it was diminished a bit. Right. The assessment. So, you so know, since so, we've been talking, two more houses went on the market. Oh, wow. It's Friday, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Going into the spring market. So, um, uh, what was I getting ready to say? I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, Woodard, the parking lot, the precedent and the comp. Oh, there's an old joke in the appraisal business. Uh, one comp's an anomaly, two comps is a coincidence, and three comps is a market. So, I mean, one 
piece of data is just that. It's one piece of data. If that piece of data is proven to be, you can vet it, verify it, you know that it absolutely is the best piece of data out there to use. You can certainly weight it, but I can't, you know, when you're doing a market analysis for, to support what you're doing, uh, it's got to make sense, right? So, I mean, I don't know much about that transaction one way or the other, so I can't say if it's a great comp or a bad comp. Well, look, it kind of goes to my statement. is you really don't have anything too much to comp it to. Right. So you now need to go outside. Oh, absolutely. Outside the area to go ahead and, and comp it. I'm in the middle of looking in my commercial listing software to see what the current... Well, it's just like about. when I called you early in the week on that piece of land that I'm working on. Uh, it's a very, I'm not going to get into the details of what I'm appraising right now because um, it's an assignment. I can't talk about it specifically, but it's a really difficult residential parcel that I'm working on. And I've got to ascertain what a normal informed buyer would do with this piece of property or what they might be willing to pay for it based on what they can do with it as of right now as a buy right use and what may potentially happen in the very near future on it. Um, and I'm not able to do that in the actual market that it sits in. So what I have to do then is I leave that market and I look for other similar situations in other markets. So I'm calling my appraiser colleagues across the state, uh, even across the country in some situations, talking to other real estate investors, developers, you know, and uh, I've got to kind of get an idea of how to, how would a normal, knowledgeable participant in the market look at this piece of property and that's how how they would buy it so you just have to use a little common sense with it heather placer mall watching the program right now uh thank you kindly for watching the show um realtors jump in with questions if you would like logan wells kalelo hello and welcome to the program jessica hines welcome to the program and thank you kindly for watching us interesting um on the commercial side they pulled the prices out too <laughs> Folks at Avenue Realty watching 745 the days has been on the market. It's, for commercial, that's not that much, though. Well, especially at that price tag. I mean, I mean, if it's been on the market that long at that price, that just tells you one thing. We the, all know. Well, they're not super motivated to sell. <laughs> an interesting exercise yeah, right. would be to overlay the new, which I have not done, the new zoning ordinances over that parcel and find out what now the buy right use is on that and does it match what they say with what they currently say but it's um it's been on the market approaching 800 days todd rath i'll get to your comment here hey, the todd. owner of blue toad hard cider mitchell todd, todd we stopped by for a drink out in wintergreen at uh, your uh, uh yesterday and uh, i asked for you i don't think you were there but it is good cider yeah, man. fantastic cider todd rath says when i bought the old martha jefferson in nelson county then turned it into Rockfish Valley Inn. They went as far as Wyoming Mountain Towns to get an AS built appraisal, as built appraisal. Uh. Uh, they will definitely need to do the same with that one, which is so, what Woody highlighted. Sure. Well, well, let, let, let's pick that apart for a second, right? Because we, we have a lot of real estate agents that watch on a mm -hmm. regular, regular basis. So we get the question all the time. You know, what's the difference between assessed value, appraised value, and market value? <laughs> I know, really? I got Sorry. <laughs> so let's, let's try. What's the definition between an assessment and an appraisal? What, what, what's the two differences, and why are those numbers always different? So are, is this multiple choice, or do I have to write an essay? <laughs> uh, essay, essay, essay. i got to go use the bathroom. I'll be right So back. you want to do uh, assessed value versus appraised value. Yeah. So, so they both... Uh, they both Miles Hamrick finds this question hilarious. Hey, Miles. Miles down in Charlotte. Good guy. Um, 
most or of the did I just put you in a spot? No, 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 no not at all. <laughs> he um, loves this stuff. So, um, it, but it's nuanced, like everything that we talk about. It's super complicated. So, to make it as simple as I can, they're really not any different. Um, now, how the practitioners go about it in either discipline is definitely different. One's using mass appraisal technique where they're, they're doing a lot of properties together to come up with a value. And they're metricing their values on what's called a sales price ratio study. And what that is, is what's property selling for and then what's it assessed at. And if there's a, a delta there, that, that's how they uh, will raise or lower based on that information with that study. The other, uh, on the appraisal side of stuff, we are using individual comparisons. We're not doing a whole, I mean, we do look at Grouping, groupings of data, large groupings of data, but then we narrow it down and we find, you know, the best three to 12 comps that we might be using to compare the property to, and that's how we'll come up with it. We're very specific in appraised value versus assessed value. Assessed value, by the, the, the um, nature of what it is, is more, um, it's statistically driven, so it's more general than specific. Todd Rapp says, thank you for stopping, Keith. Yeah. He was off to uh, take the youngest, let me read it verbatim. There's a lot of comments today. Um, sorry, I missed you. Just left at 3 p.m. to get the youngest off to the bus into a basketball game in Madison Heights. And he says, Ix Park, I bet, has a like property or close to it in Burlington, Vermont, or Asheville, North Carolina. Interestingly, he's hmm. highlighting craft beer epicenters. <laughs> I'm curious if that's why he's doing it. Three Notched is obviously the anchor tenant of Ix Park right. in Charlottesville, um, Virginia. Keith that's Smith, what the Saki Brewery is too, right? American Saki oh, is yeah. there as well. Oh. That's good stuff, man. Also, uh, they have one of really awesome ramen. And, and, I haven't uh, tried it. Oh man, if you if you if you like ramen, um, I, I would highly recommend. My daughter. One, loves one it. of the hugely uh, influential and impactful anchor tenants at Ix Park, Yes Realty Partners, <laughs> yeah. also located there as well. Formerly located. There. <laughs> Formerly located. <laughs> Formerly located. Um, so look, I'm, I'm going to try to answer my question a different way. So mm -hmm. back on, so I'm representing, Jerry wants to buy. Mm -hmm. I'm representing Jerry, and, and we just looked at 311 7th Street. It sold um, this time last year for 245 As you guys were talking, I ran a quick CMA on it. It's probably about 255 okay. market value right now. But the tax assessment is 207 and Jerry is super smart. We, let's assume Jerry is super smart. <laughs> Jerry is Thank super you. smart. Thank you for that assumption. And, and comes to me and goes, hold it, time out. Why am I paying 255 for this and the tax assessment is 207? Okay. Where's the difference there? Uh, Why time. is that there? Time and methodology. Again, that piece of property is lumped in with a lot of other property. And, and that number was done in 2022. It was also done last year, right? Well, so, so that would be 2022 because that's well, 2023 numbers. But look at what they got to do. So they've got to post their value on January 1, right? So they've been spending the entirety of this past year preparing. And they're, they're finishing it up in September and October. And they're going to finalize it, you know, in November and December. So their data points may not even go all the way through 2023. They may stop in yeah, the third yeah, quarter. So they may actually be considering data from the previous year yeah. in the last quarter. Yeah. Um, there's no limitation on how far back they, they need to go. I mean, they're, they're doing trending. They need enough information to be statistically relevant, so they'll go back and they'll do that. Um, so if you're an informed buyer, for the most part, the only thing the assessment should really matter to you 
uh, as a consumer, really, other than the fact that you've got to pay it, is that what's it going to cost you to, it's part of your operating cost for your property. Um, and you want that to be as accurate as you can, or lower than accurate if you can get it, because it's, your, it's a carrying cost you've got to have. But as far as market value, if that's how you base what you're buying things on, you're going to be sorely disappointed most of the time. Well, it's a little... And that's the point I wanted to get out. That number is very lagging, right? That it's could it, very it's much always so. diminishing, yes. It also, in my opinion, and now you're really looking at 22 sales numbers, and we're now in 2024. Right. And we all know what's happened in the last I mean, it, it's not uncommon for, you know, residential data anyway to go back 12, 18 months sometimes. And that's what they're basing all of it on. Now, a really good assessment office knows how to, ch to do what's called a market conditions adjustment. So if they go back 18 months, they're going to bring that current to whatever their effective data is for their, their study. Uh, so they, it should equalize and normalize out. But, um, but it, it's older data. So, I mean, it's always going to trail. And the thing is, is when the market's going up, it should, it, most of the time it's going to be lower than current market value. But as the market goes down, it also ends up being higher for a little bit of, uh, for a period of time. Woody, said, Woody uh, message for you from uh, Wolf. Is that Johnson nickname Wolf? He said, call me Wolf. <laughs> oh, Cope. <laughs> uh, yeah, he says, you should tape this and blog it. This is fantastic. So to your point, while you were talking, I went and looked in the city of Charlottesville, right? All of 2022, what is sold from 250 and below? Mm -hmm. You want to know what the average sales price was? What? 204. Wow. The assessment is at 207, so that's pretty damn close. Hmm. Right? Because that, you know, this These is. These are detached homes? I, I don't know. I'm just doing a group. These look like condos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're all, they're, all, they're all either attached or condos. Okay. I, I, just, I just did a big. Right. Whatever, what ultimate, ultimately sold on that thing. So to our point, the, so this 207.23 number is really a 22 real sold number, mm -hmm. and now we're up to 250-something on that price point. So yeah. what's that tell you? The market's going up in price. Yeah. yeah. And, Which we know that. And, and I think this 11% from 250 below isn't probably too far off. That's so, what do you say to the folks looking to challenge that? Well, we got to look at each individual unit, right? Yeah. So reach out to your trusted advisor. Absolutely. Look, yeah. and if you, if you get the ticket and you think that that you are being overcharged, like I said in previous shows, pick up the phone, call myself. I can't speak for Woody, but I would hope, and Woody, I'm sure, would take the phone call on oh, absolutely. it. Um, uh, and if the numbers are in, in, inverted, smile and just continue along with your daily, uh, daily life there. This is a good question for Woody. Um, are the truly custom-built homes the most challenging cool. because you don't have something to compare the customization to? Uh, from an appraisal perspective, yes and no. I mean, I, I specialize in luxury property and, and high-end real estate. So, I mean, I've got a lot of market data. And, you know, the thing about a really customized home is that there are other properties that may not be like exactly like it could be a completely different style, but it's just as atypical to the market as other 
properties that are atypical to the market. So we can generally get a good idea of what the market would most likely be willing to absorb it for. But there, you're also talking about a class of consumer that, you know, if they're buying a $5 million home, oftentimes these folks are able to write a check for the $5 million home if they want to. So their motivation is, is way different than you're going to see in, you know, the, the markets in the middle, the upper middle class markets. So, so we know 25% because we've been tracking it. Um, it's been pretty holding true. Cash. It's cash. Right. How much does that impact or does it impact at all? Uh, your appraised value. That's a great question. So again, that's a nuanced answer that I have to give you. So it depends. So when I'm doing market value, I'm doing it at a cash equivalent basis. Got it. But when the majority of the market is using financing of some kind, that can change that a bit. Now, if you've got a cash buyer who's overpaying, that's why it's really important to hire appraisers that are going to get out there and actually vet the sales. Meaning, you know, I've got a $5 million sale that, that sold for cash. I'm going to call the agent on that. And then when I get off the phone with that agent, I'm going to call the buyer's agent. I'm going to say, hey, you know, what was the motivation here? Did it, do you, in your opinion as an agent or a real estate professional, did it sell at market value? And, you know, all the professionals that we work with here locally, for the most part, they're really honest, you know, um, and they'll tell us, you know, oh yeah, you know, they, they really like the property. It spoke to them. Uh, they paid extra for it because, you know, there was, they wouldn't need to remodel it as much because, you know, when you get into those properties, personal taste, you know, you'll get in right after they close and they'll spend half a million, a million dollars just decorating and getting it to their, their taste, moving walls around and things like that. So those are all things you got to know. Um, and that happens a lot in that, in that particular market. This is a good question for you. How do uh, rent rolls and active tenants impact impact Woody's uh, appraisals? Well, we're doing market value. So if they're at market value with their, their tenants, then we will, that definitely is, it's a, again, a data point um, or a set of data points. But if they're mismanaging the property and they're under uh, leasing it out, then that's not market value. So we have to figure out what is market value. And now you can, in some situations, they are, they're getting uh, positive uh, more than market rent. So, and we have to look at that too, because that's more of a, a use value than it is a market value because they, for whatever reason, they're able to get more than market on it. We, then we're going to trend it back to market. So, um, it's very important, but I mean, understanding if you've got a great management system in place, um, it can either be really good or it can be really bad. And when we're doing market value, we've got to figure that part of it out. And, um, uh, and adjust for it. So. Johnny Ornalis, watch, welcome hey, Johnny. and wa watching the show right now. Follow-up question to that. Active tenants, this is a commercial question, active tenants and uh, owner-occupied commercial. So we're getting into a realm that if I had Heather here on the show with us, I would definitely defer to her to answer this. But um, she's been my mentor now for the last couple of years, so I mean, hopefully you taught me well, Heather, if you're still watching. Um, yeah, I mean, you, when, when you've got an uh, owner-occupied property, it may not be at market value. I mean, it really, again, it depends. I mean, are you going to charge yourself full market rent for something? And it, a lot of times with owner-occupieds, they're like special use properties, you know? So they're not necessarily going to be, it's not going to be something that you're going to be able to easily figure out. That's why we put so much impetus on the sales comparison approach and the income approach uh, when we're looking at what the market's willing to do for, with something rather than um, uh, what, what an individual owner might be willing to do. The owner-occupied from a lender standpoint, more appealing to the lender. 
because uh, the owner is occupying the commercial property. It's not just uh, truly speculative. And it, but it depends on where you're at in that, right? If this is what this is what your business model is, you know. But I can tell you, in a, in a simple level, you're 100 percent right. Uh, owner occupied usually doesn't valuate as right. high. Um, rentals do because they're income; they're producing income. Right. Which are you comfortable with chatting a little bit about rents, uh, residential rents? Yeah. So nationwide, every He's article comfortable with about, everything. Excuse me. He's comfortable with everything. Uh, I, I have too much respect for him to put him in a spot he didn't want to be in. Fair, very fair. But um, the, all the articles I'm reading nationwide, and Jerry and I have been talking about this for a while, rents are either stabilizing or dropping. I don't see that here. Mm-mm. So is that tracking with information you're seeing out there that, that rents are maybe not appreciating as much as they have been, but they're still going in the upward trend? So we're still seeing an upward trend on single unit residential uh, and, you know, small uh, multi-unit. Small multi-unit in the appraisal world is one to four. Anything above four gets into the commercial side of things. Um, So we're still seeing it even, I mean, we just did a a, a 10 unit here in Charlottesville and um, that's still trending upwards as well. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Charlottesville is different and that's why, you know, going back to one of your terms, it's hyper local, right? I mean, you want to work with professionals that understand what Charlottesville is actually doing and the region's doing rather than, you know, hiring someone from four hours away that may or may not have any familiarity with the, with the area. I, I know the money for multifamily large units is starting to dry up big time. Yeah. Uh, well, they overbuilt in a lot of places. Yeah. And, and, but that's a national trend that's impacting if you and I want to and Jerry get together and do a, a hundred unit because I'll tell you if you're going to do an apartment complex your minimum floor is a hundred mm. you know you need to be much higher than that just to get the math to work on it uh, that money unless you're using cash which is big numbers um, is, is getting harder and harder to, to borrow yeah um, Keith Smith questions for you coming on the show okay. right now he mentioned earlier in the program that additional inventory is coming on the market. What does he attribute that to if the spring market sprung in January, as he said last show? Yeah, so I think, I think that's what it is. I, I, I didn't check it until I sat down here, uh, the seven-day trend. I kind of expected to see, see it in the, in the mid to low 30s units, and we're up to, which is, it's just it's up to 62 now. It just, it, I'm sorry, 61. It gained two units since we've been... I think it's fair to say that in January, you're kind of like that gardener with a greenhouse. You're just starting to germinate the seeds. They're getting ready to sprout. You know they're coming. But you, don't, you don't know how that crop's going to come in yet. Great but then, you know, February's now popped, and we're seeing a tremendous uptick in I, volume. I thought gardening was like going to Costco to buy food. You have to... People actually do I like that, that, <laughs> that metaphor right there from Fincham. <laughs> so you expect more to come? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what so? I find the most interesting is, is we're now almost balanced between what's come on and gone into pending. I think you're going to find over the weekend in the next three days. Now, there's a, there's a little caveat to what I'm looking at here is by car rules. Uh, help me out here, uh, Woody. I, I think it's you have a maximum of 48 hours to post a pending. I believe that's correct. Yeah, so, so there could be some lag time, right, from the time that it actually goes under contract. Till it actually shows up when I'm looking at it. Could be. It. Uh, the actives are kind of, you know, as soon as, it, as soon as you list it, it's showing up. So we might see a bump over the weekend of, of pendings that are actually went on the contract now that right. don't end up into the system until either Friday, excuse me, it's Friday, sometimes Saturday, sometimes Monday. So mid-next week would be a really good time to take a look at it. 
But look, it, it's the spring sprung. But the, I got to, for, for Wednesday's show, I'm, I'm going to bring this in. I've got a 21-year running spreadsheet that shows, it, it's a graph that shows volume of sales mm -hmm. that go up. And it's normally, you don't start seeing the spring market, the spring in this area, to somewhere around late February, early March. I'm convinced, and, and I'd like to get your opinion on that. I'm convinced January 1, interest rates started to drop a little bit. Bingo, we're in the spring market. Dropped right. a fair amount. Now, we've recently had some you know, news cycle talking points from the Fed uh, that the cuts aren't going to happen as fast as we wanted. Right. Um, but still, from October of last year, we're talking a point and change lower. That makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, it really does. I mean, it definitely affects purchasing power out there. Uh, and it, it gets you know, really expensive if you don't have a, a perfect credit score, too, um, real quickly. Um, so that does affect it. But, I mean, you know, the news cycle's weird because it really does – it either poisons consumers or it, it will make them want to jump. I think this last Fed announcement, most of the news media outlets have been – uh, pretty positive they've about been, it. They've been tamer with the commentary. Yeah. Where previously, if that if if that news cycle had hit, they would have hyperbola hype. They would have exaggerated the story. Yeah. Hyperboil. Bible, I don't think that. something like that. hyperbole. Hyperbole. There you go. Look at that. They're keeping a smart. Judah's going to jump in here with <laughs> the world we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're right. It was it was more tame the coverage. And why do you yeah. think that is? <sighs> Who knows with the media? I mean, if I had to put a poster on a, uh, a picture on a poster of irresponsibility, I'd put, you know, national media outlets on it. They just, it's whatever's going to drive their ratings yeah, at the time. You know, when, when the guy stopped smoking a cigarette, reading the news at, at 6 o'clock went away, I think news kind of went downhill after that. I think, um, I think Americans and viewers and listeners and readers are ready to, to head in the new direction of dropping rates. And yeah. they may just be getting, uh, you know, disenchanted or not willing to start clicking and trafficking the website traf the website content that is rates are stickier for longer. Rates are stickier for longer. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, again, get with someone that you really trust and, you know, uh, that you can work with on the mortgage side. I mean, if you're interested in buying, I mean, that's really the best thing you can do because you really don't understand what's going on in your specific situation unless... You've, you've talked to somebody. Well, the two, the two mantras I'm using for this year, life will happen, mm -hmm. right? We're starting to get to the point that people have to start making life decisions and they're going to, they're going to move the market forward regardless of, in, of, interest, of interest rates. And, uh, you know, now is, now is the, it's always now is the right time to buy. I had a phone interview, a Zoom interview with a, a buyer client that, of ours, um, that is moving down to Raleigh. So we, we always do a phone interview right. with them before we do some referral or uh, referral out. And young man, you know, in his 20s, and he's like, I'm, I'm ready to go. He, he gets it. He understands it, that he's, you know, getting into the cycle of, of generational wealth at any moment. And if you can afford to do it, is, is really the right time to do it. Matthew Woodson, hello. Thank you hey. for watching the program. Hey, Matthew. Um, love when he comes on the program. I need to actually call him today. Uh, Dorinda Lane, hello. Welcome to the uh, show. Thank you for watching the program. So, Woody Fincham, this question for you. How's the uh, book of business looking? We are very busy right now. Um, 
you know, thankfully, I mean, we were as, as slow as we've ever been since we started the company five years ago through the last quarter. And I'm not complaining. We were still busy, but just not as busy as we had been historically. Uh, it was nice to actually get a, a little bit of breathing room, to be honest with you. But we're back up uh, running right now. We've got a lot of litigation work going on, a lot of private uh, work that's not related to mortgage transaction, you know, whether it's estate planning or, uh, or uh, feasibility analysis where people are thinking about doing this, uh, doing something with their home and they want to know, well, what's the return on investment for them and that kind of thing. So we're staying pretty busy with that stuff. So how can people best reach out to you, right? And, and for those who have to help, and before you answer that question, I want to publicly thank you oh. for helping us with the land trust. You did a very, 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 very quick turnaround time on this house that we're, we're buying at what Lake Monticello. What is the Monticello. best? Lake Monticello. Yeah, so thank uh, you I'm, I'm happy to help. That's, um, you know, helping folks get into some more affordable housing. Uh, is, you know, I, I love helping with that. So anytime I can do it, I'm happy to do it. As far as reaching out to us, I mean, uh, if you look for... Woody, an appraiser on Google, you'll find me. Um, I think I'm the only one out there. Oh, I actually know there is a Woody that's an appraiser in Richmond as well, but you want the one here in Charlottesville. Um, but Fincham & Associates is our company, and uh, I'm pretty easy to find. So, Or you can go on to Real Talk with Keith Smith, pull down the oh. partner tab, and then there is your link, and you can click on that to reach out to you. That's good for uh, SEO purposes. Gentlemen, your weekend plans before we get out of here. Woody Fincham. Uh, I've got a full day of appointments today, and then I'm going to um, Charlestown, West Virginia tonight to go see Extreme and Living Color at the casino, uh, which is uh, for all of us old people. They know who Extreme and Living Color are, but they're bands from the 80s and 90s. So. Any gambling? Nah. I'm Not a gambling guy? Go up and, we, I took my kids to see him in Roanoke a couple nights ago, and then we're, I'm going back by myself tonight to see him. So. Keith Smith? Um, I'm recovering from my... You went skiing? I went skiing Mm. yesterday with our team and our partners. Uh, It was the first time since 1984 I was on a pair of skis. What slopes did you stick with? Um, You know, there was a bunch of bunnies floating around. (laughs) (laughs) So no eagle swoop for you? No, 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 no. We, we, uh, uh, you know, at the age of 60-something... They went to Wintergreen, guys. At the age of 60-something, I can't believe how smarter I'm getting. Mm. So if, if it was 40 years, uh, 20 years ago, I would have uh, overdid it. So it was a lot of fun. Didn't bite the dust. But I will tell you, uh, even though I cycle regularly, there are muscles I apparently have not used in a long time. Skeen and Skeen will do that to you. Oh, man. Absolutely. Keith Smith, Yes Realty Partners, one of the principals, YesRealtyPartners.com. Woody Fincham of Fincham & Associates. They do a bang-up job. Judah Wickhauer, the director and producer of the talk show. It's Real Talk with Keith Smith online and realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. The I Love Seville show, my friends, is up in approximately an hour and change. Thank you kindly for joining us. And so long, everybody. Have a great weekend, guys. Very well done. And you know, this reminds me.